the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about the priest abuse scandal. Uh, the victims, or really the better word, is survivors and lawyers speak out. As you know, uh, recently there was the settlement, a $660 million settlement from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles that they have agreed to pay the victims of their abuse. And that comes out to approximately over $1 million per plaintiff. However, this money is really no amount of money is able to soothe and account for and, and uh um, be compensation enough for the experiences that they went through that actually have left them scarred for life. My guests today are uh, attorney Tony DeMarco. He is an attorney with the law firm of Kiesel, Boucher, and Larson, and that is the lead law, plaintiff law firm in this case in Los Angeles, representing uh, over 500 victims of priest abuse. And also, um, I, I, we should call them survivors instead of victims, but I'll probably uh, uh, wind up interchanging that, um, who have bravely agreed to come on and talk about their stories. A lot of times when you hear about these things in the news, it seems like it's not real. And actually, there are real people behind these stories. I, as a psychiatric expert witness, have, in fact, evaluated and treated a number of them. I can tell you how real their pain is. In fact, oftentimes, as grown men sat in my office and cried, I have wished that there were cameras there so that people could realize, not just the priests and the people in the Catholic Archdiocese, but parents and other uh, pedophiles, who people who have abused children, who somehow rationalize to themselves that it's okay. Um, in fact, it isn't. And in fact, the pain and the symptoms go on forever. So it's very brave of Manny Vega and Udo Stratinsky to come on and talk about uh, their experiences as victims and survivors of the um, L.A. Archdiocese. So welcome to the show, all of you. Thank you for being on Dr. Carol's Couch. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we start with Mr. DeMarco, um, who can give us a perspective of what it has been like going from the beginning of these lawsuits, the beginning of uh, speaking with plaintiffs, to now the settlement. Well, it's been a, certainly been a journey, Um uh, I can I can remember some of the early meetings with folks like Manny and Udo and and so many others. It, it's uh, and to echo some of your words, Dr. Lieberman, the the emotional trauma that they've gone through over the years uh, it doesn't abate, it doesn't go away. And as important as the litigation has been for for almost every client, 
it's also reopened those wounds, and they've been remained open for much of the last five years. Um, so it's been a gratifying experience for many. It's been something that they felt, I believe, that uh, accountability has been brought, a believability has been brought, um, but yet at the very same time it has taken a significant toll on the, all those involved. Uh, so, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I guess it's true that um, at least this does uh, carry with it, the settlement carries with it the um, validation of their claims, the fact that somebody does believe them and um, is taking it seriously. Yeah, I think that has start, that started five years ago, um, that validation yeah. process for many, because so many had lived in guilt and shame for most of their lives, not wanting to talk about this because of what uh, people would think of them or what they think of themselves, <clears throat> and that people wouldn't believe them. Um, and I think over the last five years, uh, most of the folks we've represented and, and have gone through this one of the main, one of the most important things that they've gotten out of it is that uh, people do believe them that by coming forward uh, they have made a difference that they have uh, changed the church and they have changed society and that they don't have a reason to feel guilty or shameful over what was done to them when they were children. Yes, of course, it is hard to um, to wipe away those feelings, even though logically they shouldn't they ha- shouldn't still be feeling them but it's it's very hard to take that away um because especially on individual bases they feel somehow that they caused this to happen that's one of the hardest um problems in recovering uh from child sexual abuse because there's still that feeling that somehow they did something uh to cause in this case the priests to do what they did um and even though it isn't really true, because obviously an adult has the responsibility, especially a priest or someone involved in the church has an even greater responsibility to, because a greater trust is put in them, um, to not do these kinds of things. And yet that's the hardest part to, to take away. Um, why don't we go now, um, Manny or Udo, you can start, either one of you. Why don't you tell us about what your story um, was. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. This is Manny. Um, basically what happened to me... Could you talk up a little bit? Sure, I'm sorry. You can hear me now? Yes. Okay. What, what happened to me as a young boy was that the father of Fidencio Silva, who was the man who abused me, was assigned to Our Lady of Guadalupe Catholic Church in Oxnard. He was uh, put in charge of the altar boys, uh, he was a very young, charismatic priest that brought a uh, breath of fresh air to an old congregation, so everybody welcomed him with open arms. <clears throat> and when he was put in charge of the altar boys, um, I mean, nobody thought of looking at him as being uh, suspicious or him his activities being unusual because, you know, all these altar boys were around him constantly. Eventually what happened is that uh, my parents were having marital problems, uh, my parents were using him as their spiritual counselor, and so was I. And eventually he found the weak points in our family, and he exploited them, and that's how the abuse began with me. 
and the uh, extent of the abuse that I suffered was uh, uh, having nude photographs taken of me uh, in various positions, some simulating like a rising Christ, others were masturbating uh, in different poses. He had digitally penetrated me, he masturbated me, uh, groped me several times, and this lasted for approximately four years from sixth grade all the way up to about uh, my freshman year. Um, it was during that time period that uh, I really didn't say much. It was, not only was it happening to me, but it was uh, happening to other old boys. But none of us ever spoke about it. Um, eventually, it, it just kind of uh, it stopped, and uh, I went away to the Marine Corps, and several years later when I was uh, applying for the Los Angeles Police Department when I was filling out one of the uh, uh, application forms, and the question was uh, asked, you know, have you ever been abused? And that's where it kind of started coming up again. And that's where I realized that maybe I was an abuse victim. And it didn't, I didn't confirm that until I was in the academy with LAPD uh, when we were getting classes on uh, child pornography, uh, sexual assault, uh, child molestation, all that that I, as I was sitting in class, I realized that I was a victim of, uh, of that. Mm-hmm. And um, what, um, you know, you brought up one of, the, one of the important points that you brought up was how um, priests, just like other pedophiles, are able to know which children are going to be more vulnerable to this. You know, you were saying that your parents... We're having marital problems, and um, so you were presumably even more uh, in need of uh, a father figure, someone to show you special attention. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And he, and he, uh, I mean, he was like a big kid in a candy store. And I hate to put it this way, and it might offend some people, but boy, he had he had his, he had his pick of what he wanted when he wanted. And the sad thing too is that there was other adults within the parish. Uh, that were having sexual relationships with him, and on some of the retreats that we would go off, I mean, we did some pretty stupid thing. Like one time, he asked to run down to a. Uh, there was a retreat off in the, in the mountains, and there was a, a swimming hole down below the cabin. And I remember those father fit into about twelve other altar boys and two other men that were part of the older prayer group, but that used to hang out with Father Fidencio. And we went running down towards this. Uh, swimming hole naked and once we got there he kind of said well let's see who can masturbate the, the fastest and there we sit around masturbating I mean you, you kind of look at that and it's like I mean it's I mean, stupid but we did it yeah yeah it's, you know when, when a priest someone you look up to so much tells you to do that you, you sort of don't question it. even though you have kind of a yucky feeling you still think you have to listen to him We'll come back after this break. We're talking about the priest abuse scandal. We're talking with um, victims and survivors, victims who have become survivors of this priest abuse, Manny and Udo, and uh, the attorney who helped to bring about this settlement, Tony DeMarco. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. The Kerry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas broadcast each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas, your premier source for faith based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about the settlement uh, from the L.A. Archdiocese, the priest abuse scandal, and what the impact has been and what this journey has been like for my guests, attorney Tony DeMarco of Kiesel Boucher and Larson, the lead plaintiff law firm in this case, and Manny Vega and Udo Stratinsky, who are survivors of the priest abuse scandal. Um, Udo, why don't you tell us about your story? All right. Um, uh, I, this happened to me um, in the summer between nineteen, well, nineteen fifty-six, between my first year in high school and my second year in high school, and um, 
I was just about five years uh, into the United States. I'd come from Europe as a refugee with my mother, and she was bringing me up. So um, we were not a wealthy family, and uh, we uh, we were obviously vulnerable. Um, in order to save money on transportation to the school, which I should say was Loyola High School, uh, I actually lived a half a block away from the rear entrance to the campus. Uh, this is another uh, issue that made me more vulnerable because this was known then among the, the priest faculty who were who were there and living on campus themselves. Um, the man that molested me was not even a teacher at the school. He was a rather powerful person, though he was a fundraiser for the order. He knew people like Cecil B. DeMille and Conrad Hilton, and uh, he was able to visit them. Uh, he would get presents from them. He could go to a hotel and have a free meal uh, anytime he wanted to, a free room. Um, there was some film uh, that came out where uh, half of the proceeds uh, for the first week went to a special charity. He arranged all that business. Um, and he was a ghostwriter, uh, especially for Conrad Hilton, the hotel mm. founder. He wrote most of the uh, speeches that he gave, these after-dinner speeches and things, and uh, why freedom is a better choice than slavery, for example, things like that. Titles seem a little uh, obvious now, but at the time, you know, it was very impressive for a kid who hadn't really assimilated. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very uh, impressed that uh, someone like that, as powerful as that, would take an interest in me, and he thought I had some in writing so uh, he would ask if I would just leave uh, samples of papers I'd written for classes for him at the uh, switchboard and then he would comment on them and he'd meet with me and so in this uh, summer vacation period between uh, my first year and second year so it would be around July or August of 1956 um, he called me. This is the first time he'd actually uh, showed that he had my phone number because I never gave it to him. But he just went and called me and said, Hi, this is Father Sullivan. It's a very hot day, and we were having real heat waves, uh, and we had no, nothing like an air conditioner. In fact, it was a big deal if you had a fan. And we were having heat waves that went into the hundreds. And this is... Uh, I don't know if you know where Royal High School is located, but it's uh, it's somewhere uh, around Pico and uh, Vermont. So that's uh, one of the hotter parts of the city. Uh, and uh, he said, I would like to know if you want to go swimming. So I said, well... Yeah. He said, do you know how to swim? And I said, I know a little bit. I'm not very good. But 
He said, well, do you have trunks? And I said, I don't think so. He said, well, never mind. Uh, where we're going, there's plenty of stuff. There'll be trunks there to fit you, I'm sure. So he came by. He was dressed uh, in civilian clothes. Drove me to this place. It was somewhere east. Um, could well be the San Gabriel Valley where I'm now working. And uh, it was his house, and he just drove right in a circular driveway, a little fountain in the middle, just went in, had the key, uh, came out with uh, some uh, trunks. He said, well, try these on here several sizes. And he said, I'm going in to change. And then we... Um, we went out uh, and, and uh, into the pool in the barrack. Um, the first time I actually ever touched him was when uh, he gave me some suntan lotion. He said, please do my back. And then when we were finished after a couple of hours, uh, he took me back inside. The first thing he did was to offer me some uh, alcohol. He said, well, I'm, I'm sure that... Uh, a little bit won't hurt you. Uh, and I know he had a healthy uh, dose of scotch. And he gave me something called Quantro, which uh, has stuck in my mind forever, and I hate the stuff. I can't stand the taste or smell of the stuff. And he also uh, used Coppertone suntan lotion, and, and he um, also put, put it on me after I put it on him. And I can't stand the smell of that stuff mm -hmm. either. I mean, these are things that trigger me instantly into very, very fearful things. So uh, he gave me this Cointreau, and I mean, I was sipping it. It tasted like some terrible syrup with a little bite to it, which was obviously the alcohol. And um, then the first sign of abuse happened. He started to stuck his finger into the waistband of my swim trunks and started pulling them down. And I thought, well, he's trying to tell me gently that I should not be sitting on the furniture uh, in wet swim trunks. And I said, oh, I understand. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll go and, um, you know, get a towel and uh, change back into my uh, my regular jacket shorts and... Uh, he said, I don't want you to go anywhere. And he proceeded to pull the trunks down and started to play with my penis and came down and started to kiss me down there. And I was terrified. I closed my eyes and hoped that there would be some hole no bigger than a pinprick in the universe. And if I knew that, it was there. I would find it, and I would escape through that hole. Mm. I wanted so much to escape from that, and I didn't dare say anything. I tried to move him away or move myself away, and he kept it. He didn't say a word throughout this. He just uh, kept pulling me to him. Mm. And I don't want to get into any more details, um, but... Um, he uh, he said afterwards, um, I I hope you're not upset. 
And I just looked at him, you know, complete astonishment. And he said, well, you probably took the pledge and I had you drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wow. I, I said, yeah, wow, exactly. I mean, um, yeah, I, uh, I was wondering about that, uh, and then uh, he said, as far as the rest goes, you know, uh, I'm just checking you out. Uh, you don't, uh, you, you're, you're not uh, able to afford regular medical checkups. I want to make sure that you're uh, you're healthy. You know, I, I care. We, we can't have you. And he was telling me about some writers that died of syphilis or something, you know. Um, and he said, well, you're not getting sex education, so I'm going to take care of that for you, too. Hmm. Uh, and then after he drove me home, and I was just silent. In fact, uh, I I was feeling zoned out. He said, "I hope you don't think that you committed any kind of sin, but if you did, I'd be happy to hear your confession." Oh, wow! And uh, I did not. Uh, I, I did not say I wanted his confession. In fact, I said I did not want his confession. Uh, um, that uh, I thanked him for uh, the swimming and, and said good night. I got inside and uh, I should tell you this: my my um, we we stopped off on the way home, and he bought me uh, some dinner and. I remember he asked me, "What is your favorite dish?" And I said, "Prime rib." And so he bought me prime rib, and it turned out to be a Friday. And in those days, in the Catholic Church, you were not allowed to eat meat on Friday, and he had it too. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was another issue, like the pledge for for mm-hmm. drinking. He said, "You know, you don't have to." Um, you don't have to uh, uh, worry about meat on Friday. Then he says, you don't have to abide by that. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly the opposite of what I had learned in um, in religion class. They told stories in religion class about us people who inadvertently took a bite of something you had meat in it on a Friday, and they had the option of deciding whether to swallow it or spit it out. And someone swallowed it instead of spitting it and then said, well, I better not eat any because this is Friday. And they were hit by a car, and at the funeral, the coffin rose up, and the body inside the coffin screamed, don't have a funeral for me, I'm in hell. So we were told stories like that. Um, So here he tells me, uh, you don't have to worry about this uh, meat on Friday thing. And I said, that goes directly against what I learned. And he showed his, um, his mean side to me, if if you can imagine, after what he did to me. I'd say he showed his mean side. No, he got very serious and he said, are you trying to tell me that you know more moral theology than I do? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Who are you anyway? You're just a little punk kid. 
Yes, I guess he felt threatened that you were showing that you weren't uh, totally under his control. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's amazing. Obviously, both of your stories are, are so sad and, and uh, obviously painful to tell. And, you know, when when you were telling that story, you know, it was like, it, it, I hope that people are realizing that, I mean, you remember every second, and of course you're condensing it for the uh, radio just as you did, Manny, you know, for, for the time period that we have, but I, I hope people realize that all of these moments, these, these tiny fractions of time um, in which the abuse occurred are engraved indelibly on your minds, and uh, it's not, you know, Adults um, try to rationalize and say, well, what do they know? They're kids. They'll forget about it. And really, um, both of you have, have proven that, uh, that that's not true, that these are really last forever. So uh, with that, we do need to take a break. We're talking today about uh, the settlement of the priest abuse scandal People with people who experienced it firsthand. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with president of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Cherry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Cherry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Cherry Douglas Show. Join Cherry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Cherry Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Carrie Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas, your premier source for faith based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the priest abuse scandal, the settlement with the survivors of the priest abuse, and an attorney from the lead law firm, Tony DeMarco of Kiesel, Boucher, and Larson. 
So, Tony, what is it like for you to, I mean, I know you've heard what, it, it was over 500 plaintiffs that you had in your firm, that your firm represented, correct? Well, um, there's over 500 that were involved in the settlement. Not all of them are represented by our firm. Uh-huh. Um, almost half were, though. So you've, I, I mean, I guess you've heard similar stories. Um, I mean, Manny and Udo were both your um, p- clients. Yes. And um, I, I presumably you've heard their story before, and, and I guess having hearing it from 250 people, I, I guess has it, ta- has it taken its toll on you? I don't think um, uh, anyone who has a human bone in their body could not be dramatically and fundamentally changed by hearing the amount of human suffering that these folks had to endure. Um, And I think if uh, members of society, members of the church, could hear this as much as possible, it might might affect a change for the positive going forward that hasn't been done yet. when you hear when you hear stories like what happened to Manny, what happened to Udo, it, it one you you hear the pain and you you feel the suffering, and you can also hear how it is that it happened and how it could have been prevent, prevented if folks had merely not looked the other way, um, decided not to make the choice of uh, taking the easy way out, of not thinking that their fellow persons, priests, nuns brothers, uh, co-workers could have been doing something like this. Um, uh, Fidencio Silva molested kids and was able to, uh, one, because the complaints that were made about him went unheeded to church officials. Two, because parishioners and folks that worked at the parish chose to ignore really obvious warning signs. Why was he taking one boy after another up to his bedroom? closing the door and keeping them there for periods of time. Why was he taking naked pictures of them? I mean, there were complaints. People saw that these were around. They didn't do anything about it. They chose to take the easy way out at the time of not confronting him, not looking into it, not asking questions. In Udo's case, kids were being pulled out of the dormitory and by Sullivan. He was coming there in the middle of the night. The officials there, priests, knew he was coming in uh they didn't want they didn't want to know deeper they didn't want to know the truth uh and we hear this over and over and over again and um, where the settlement is important and i think it it brings a further validation to um, folks who've suffered from childhood sexual abuse and it also brings an element of closure to them um, and a way of benefiting their lives in some way, finding some way to get beyond this. What it doesn't do and what people have to remain vigilant towards going forward is preventing this from happening again. And we're at a high-water mark with the settlement, but the danger is that I see going forward is people will forget. They'll, they won't learn the lesson of how this happened, and they'll get comfortable thinking it's a problem of the past, and it'll be repeated maybe not next year but years to come uh, well have you seen any um i mean for example one of the the criticisms of the settlement or one of the i guess uh, 
cynical ways of looking at it and, and accurate, presumably, is um, how this settlement came about. I mean, after years and years, five years, you said, um, came about finally right before Cardinal Mahoney would have had to testify in open court. And that seems like more than a coincidence. So what do you think that his continued presence in the church um, is going, how is that, how are changes going to be made? Well, um the, the timing of having the trials coming up and the settlement happening right before the first trials took place can't be a coincidence. I think we all know that. And we, in the litigation, have been pushing for as many cases to be set for trial as quickly as we could because we knew that that is what would ultimately force uh, the church and its insurance companies to be reasonable. I, I don't know that it's as simplistic as the cardinal sitting down in the witness chair, frankly, because we've taken his deposition in the past and he has testified. Um, certainly that, that might have been a motivating factor, but I don't think it's as simple as saying that because of him. I think the church leadership is an opportunity right now. And, and some of the messages I'm seeing coming out of them uh, point to them attempting to take the opportunity. The, the opportunity they have is go forward and continue the change. Um, inform parishioners, inform priests, inform um, parish workers of the warning signs of the re- that they need to report, that there are consequences for not reporting, for not looking out for children. And I know that there's been some measures taken already, but we know they're not enough, and they won't ever be enough. Um, and some of the statements coming out of the church are acknowledging that. Another extraordinarily important aspect of the settlement that cannot be underestimated is the document production. In the Orange Diocese settlement, we made a condition of that settlement that the personnel and confidential files for priests be made public. We did so in the Franciscan settlement. We did so with the Jesuits, and we've done so with this. And I think the, the underlying importance for that is we need to create a historical record. Just like the Holocaust happened and there's a historical record from that. And 50 years after that happened, you have people coming out and saying it never happened. And the, in going forward, the only way you can show that it did happen, and it's not one person's word against another, is get the documents out. Show the documentary evidence. Uh, and I dare say if that does come out, people will, will learn lessons of how this occurred and how it can be prevented. Uh, but... I think that's going to be one of the enduring legacies of the settlement. Uh, yeah. and, you know, and people will talk a lot about keep going forward in litigation. There was a huge human cost to this litigation. Uh, uh, too many clients that we've represented, and I know other law firms represented clients, they are not with us anymore. Yes, they committed, either, either yeah, they committed because to of it. their own hand mm-hmm. or because of the passage of time. Um, and there's no reason to believe that wouldn't have continued. In fact, I know uh, from talking with clients that that would have been exacerbated. The, the litigation itself was extremely difficult and painful for anyone who's been involved in mm-hmm. it. Being deposed and having every part of your life picked apart and analyzed from the perspective of was that injury, was that event another cause for, for your pain now? Having each and every one of your family members deposed and inquired of almost in a similar fashion. Uh, The the invasion that people had to go through and the courage those that went through it is immeasurable. 
but there is a consequence, and there is a lot of folks that wouldn't have been able to stand up to that. And uh, the settlement occurring the way it had, I think, um, is important in another way. If it had occurred in fits and starts, if we had one trial or another where there was a verdict, we had one settlement or another, I don't think it would have sent the message that would happen Mm -hmm. sent. Uh, This was a worldwide message that was sent, that this church and this archdiocese was wrong, that it committed heinous acts, that it allowed heinous acts to be committed, and that $660 million is a form of accountability. It's a form of acknowledgement that wouldn't have otherwise come. And what about the um, the potential for criminal charges? I mean, is that, uh, from what I've heard, that it's being considered, but where does that stand? From the public statements I've heard from the district attorney's office in Los Angeles County, they'll pursue any evidence. I've learned, frankly, while we've been on the call, that another priest was just arrested, a Father George Miller, who we represent victims relating to, who were part of this settlement. Um, so I know the district attorney is currently prosecuting wherever they've got evidence. They're prosecuting Michael Baker right now for abuse he committed. Uh, they'll be prosecuting Miller as well. They prosecuted Michael Wempe. And, um, you know, they've indicated repeatedly if they find evidence that goes up the chain, they will go where the evidence takes them. Mm-hmm. Do you think they are um, someone in the district attorney's offices? hoping to lead all the way up to Cardinal Mahoney? Oh, I don't think they've made any secret about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think that's been a secret. Um, You know, the the, the, uh, lead us not into temptation or deliver us from evil movie, I think uh, statements were pretty clearly made there. Um, So, you know, I think there is still that prospect out there. But, you know, I... I, I, I approach things a little differently. Um, I think there needs to be a fundamental change. Um, the abuse could not have occurred in the, the the way it did. Priests could not have gotten away with what they did if the rank-and-file priests had done what was responsible, if parish workers had really paid attention and had done what was responsible at the time. Um, and I think that still plays through. In the last couple of years, another priest was criminally convicted of abuse that occurred up through 2004. Fernando uh-huh. Lopez. Uh-huh. You know, and you know, and even at, when he was being tried, uh, while there were multiple victims that came up and testified, he had in the courtroom so many supporters from his parish huh. that. Wow. Treated the victims as pariahs. Yes, yes. And oh, well, that's still there. Yes. We do need to take a break now. We'll come back to that um, when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about the priest abuse scandal. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Whether by choice or by circumstance, the statistics of the effects of missing fathers and the impact on our children, our neighborhoods, and our communities is staggering. 
How can we interrupt this pattern of violence, gang activity, drug use, and sexual activity among our fatherless children? On Changing a Generation, with author, inspirational speaker, life coach, and host, Terrence Wilson, the focus is on elevating the mindset of this current generation by unveiling viewpoints that inspire people to reach for their dreams. Terrence and his guests reveal how building family relationships, becoming an entrepreneur, and living a Christian life develops future leaders in the next generation of children. Changing a Generation with Terrence Wilson broadcast each Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Changing a Generation, bringing a message of deliverance to the fatherless on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about the settlement uh, made between the L.A. Archdiocese and uh, over 500 plaintiffs who have been victims and then ultimately survivors of priest abuse, sexual abuse. My guests are Tony DeMarco of Kiesel, Boucher, and Larson, and uh, the survivors, Manny Vega and Udo Stratinsky. Um, I'd like to ask Manny and Udo your, for your personal reactions to the settlement, how it made you feel. Sure. Well, I can, I can say this. Um, I'm happy that uh, it happened, and I'm, I'm happy that the uh, anguish of a trial was spared to um, myself and all, all the people that uh, are in uh, are in this situation. Uh, it, it's no fun to go through a trial. I remember uh, how I was treated by people that knew exactly what happened to me, and uh, I know that in court. Mr. Hannigan or whoever would undertake a defense um, would do their very best and would be allowed to do their very best to uh, find inconsistencies in our story, to tear it down, to undermine the certainty we have, or at least to minimize the damage. So these are all things that um, would be much, much more hurtful. So for that reason, I'm happy that we're not going to uh, go through that. Um, is the money enough? Um, I have to go behind that old statement that no amount of money 
really takes care of this problem. Um, so that that would be no. Um, on the other hand, it does give me a chance to do things I was unable to do. It makes me feel much more empowered than I was. I don't have to be afraid of things now, even little things like, uh, you know, forgetting to feed the meter. If I get a ticket, so what? I can afford to pay it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that that has helped. You know, it just makes me feel a lot safer. And I miss the idea of having all those people who um, did the wrong thing, who sneered at me or who threatened me, not being able to come into court and having to say they were wrong. Some of them are dead. Um, I would have liked that moment, you know, but my abuser is dead, and the people that protected him, several of them have died as well. So, you know, uh, there there isn't very much. I mean, I, I, the provincial of the order who apologized to me, uh, he came to that same high school as a student many years after I had graduated. He was barely born when I was being abused. And I must say that his apology was entirely scripted. I don't know what feeling there was behind it, but it was it seemed scripted. And I will say something about what um, Tony had said. I got to see the file on my guy, and I know, I know of people who were abused by him. I've talked to them. There is nothing in that file that even hints at this. So I think that um, we weren't given the total file or they were just nodding when they kept the file or there is a separate file dealing with that which wasn't turned over, but whatever it is, um, there's enough in there for me to read between the lines, but boy, there's, there's nothing there to suggest. Even the things they were willing to admit about him before that he was an alcoholic, there's nothing even there to suggest that. Mm. So I'm... I'm kind of disappointed about that. Uh-huh. Manny? Well, my my feeling on what the police obviously is much different than Noodles. Um, as you know, Dr. Carroll, that uh, I'm a police officer, and for years I've uh, gone to trial on behalf of other people, other victims, and finally it was my turn for my own trial in the sense that I was the victim and I was going to finally... Uh, say my piece uh, on the stand, and I did, and I do want more of an accountability. I completely feel uh, disgusted with how the settlement took so long and the suffering that the victims went through uh, just to get to this point where we were last week. In um, for me to start moving towards, I guess, if there's a, such a word disclosure in this, is Mahoney needs to resign. He needs to be held accountable, whether it's criminally, uh, parishioners, uh, lay people, priests, who have never stood uh, for the victims, need to come together and stand against Mahoney. That's where it starts. I mean, there has to be some sort of reformation, some acknowledgement. Nobody really acknowledged us. 
and unfortunately, I think they never will. I mean, yes, uh, Sunday Mass, it was business as usual, you know, sit in the old bin and bless yourself, and off you go. And and that's what kind of, uh, I, I have that bitterness inside of me. Number two is, you know, we need to remove that Roman collar off these men and look at what they've actually done. These guys were shuffling pedophile men across state lines and across international boundaries with full knowledge of archdiocese and dioceses throughout the United States and the world, and Rome was to play a big part of this. Um, you know, I helped or assisted in some investigations that took place in South America and also in Mexico, and I saw it with my own eyes, the devastation that, that this has caused down there. Uh, there has to be some sort of, uh, like I said, congressional hearing or some somebody has to look into this. I mean, because, I mean, they, if they're willing to have a congressional hearing for steroids and baseball, my God, mm-hmm. they need to have something for, you know, the devastation that these men did to the children. Yeah. Number two, I mean, or number three, excuse me, I would like to have an audience with the Pope. The Pope has never, never entertained uh, a meeting or any such function with victims. I think he needs to know. I think he covered up quite a bit. I think he needs to hear it from us. Well, those are all good points. Are you working? I know both of you belong to SNAP, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. Is SNAP, or are you individually or through SNAP, going to work on some of these uh, additional requests? Well, as far as I'm concerned, my this is just the beginning of, you know, uh, another chapter in the fight. I mean, this is going to be my life work. This will never end for me. Uh, I will probably take this to the grave. But when you're doing something right and you feel inside that you're that, that you're on the right road, I mean, you have to stick with it. And I am on the right road. There has to be accountability. I mean, just the utter devastation of sexual abuse is just tremendous. And then you just mix it up with a little bit of of, of, of God, faith, and everything, and your the complete destruction of that. Oh, it's it's, it's overwhelming. Yes, yes, absolutely. That yes, that that sexual abuse on its own, um, but then when you do add the the whole aspect of religion and and how priests are are essentially the um, representatives of God for uh, on earth, um, it, it does bring a whole other level to it. Not that it's not bad enough when it's your own father or uncle or, or even a stranger, but yes, it uh, rips your faith in God as well. Absolutely. And it, Dr. Carroll, may I say something? My, my last comment. And, um, and my heart really goes out to the people who helped us. I mean, especially for Tony DeMarco. I mean, I traveled with Tony, helped him in some depositions and so on. And I, phys- I, I mean, I could see the physical. Torture that you know Tony was going through and asking these questions and, and and dealing with these men and I mean reading the article that Bill Adele from the LA Times wrote and his loss of faith, I mean it, it pains me that there's other people that are going to have to go through this. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'd like to thank you all uh, for sharing your stories and I'm glad that um, there has been at least this degree of validation. Uh, brought to it after this long road and yes I think it's it's certainly a very um, commendable plan to not let this be the end but to, to continue to try to uh, protect more people from this kind of abuse continuing to happen um, 
And I'd also like to say that, that even though I was talking earlier about how it leaves scars forever, um, I just want to remind my two guests and also all of you who are listening that um, sexual abuse does leave scars, but these scars can be somewhat ameliorated um, by psychotherapy. It takes many, many years, many, many sessions, painful sessions, tears, um, and all of that, but at least that can help, and I would urge you both and anyone listening who's been through sexual abuse or been through a similar kind of tragedy to not give up hope and at least to try to help these scars um, close with some psychotherapy. And in addition, it's not it's not just about the money. It's um, also going into these into the memories, into the painful memories. So again, I'd like to thank my victim survivors of priest sexual abuse, Manny Vega and Udo Stratinsky, and my uh, champion lawyer. Tony DeMarco of Kiesel Boucher and Larson, who obviously, actually both Manny and Udo were talking to me about uh, how dedicated you have been and how much you have given of your life to this cause uh, over the past years. So thank you all for being guests on the show, and I, I wish you all well. Thank You've you. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m.